Good morning, NBC Church family. It's Saturday night, and all is quiet in this room. It's pretty awesome to think that in a few short hours, this place is going to be bustling with life. I realize that the way that I'm shooting this right now makes it look a little bit like an Escher painting. So where is the real thing happening? Uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, listen, I missed you last week. We were on some family vacation, and this week we're preaching across town for Foster the Bay. Uh, actually, we're not preaching. I'm preaching. We're not the Von Trapp family. Uh, we may get to that at some stage in our lifetime. I wanted to be the one to introduce to you Don, uh, who's going to speak for us this morning. Don and I go way back. We were on staff at Venture Christian Church years ago. Don is a local missionary uh, with Evangelism Explosion, teaching people how to share their faith. But most important for this morning, Don is a man of prayer. and He's part of our prayer group that is prayed faithfully almost every Wednesday, uh, right through those doors in my office on Wednesday mornings. And NBC, I wish you would just give him a warm family welcome to Dr. Reverend Don Porter. Don, where are you at? Come on up, Don. Oh, there he is. Come on up. Dave and I, actually, uh, we were on staff for several years together. Dave probably will never tell you, I actually met him before we were on the same church staff. Uh, my wife and I and family had gone to Montana and started a church uh, after I'd been there for five years and got kicked out of the church that I started. We went back to Sunnyvale, California. The Bay Area is my home. And uh, my dad had a construction company and went to work for him. So I am uh, working in construction uh, with my father. We're going to Valley uh, Christian Church. In Cupertino, anybody ever hear of that church? Valley Christian in Cupertino. Uh, Paul Steele was my pastor and uh, became my friend there. And But I would get uh, discouraged and lonely working in construction as a hod carrier. Isn't quite the same thing as putting uh, messages together and preaching the gospel. And uh, my wife would see the depression come on me. And one time she decided... Uh, she said, hey, why don't we do some uh, something outdoorsy, something to, to get you back in the spirit of Montana. And uh, she decided to uh, take me horseback riding. Well, when I got there, and I didn't know Dave at the time, but uh, since then I, I, I know Dave. And uh, Dave was there, and he had uh, mounted what looked to be a pretty frisky steed there. And uh, Dave, the, the horse was taken off, and Dave was waving his arm, one arm, and, Yahoo! Yahoo! And uh, then tragedy struck. Uh, Dave fell back off of the horse, and his foot was caught in the, um, the, um, so, oh, you've done this before, huh? Okay. Yeah, his foot was caught in the stirrup, and the horse just kept going. And if, if, if my wife had not had been so level-headed, uh, Dave might not be your pastor today. But my wife barely, very calmly walked up and unplugged the machine. <laughs> I, I honestly think it was the providence of God that sent my wife and I 
to Kmart that day with a pocket full of quarters. So, my daughters begged me not to share that story today. Dave asked me uh, to preach today on the subject of my greatest passion. I said, well, then I'll preach about and No, Dave goes, no, not that one. I said, well, I will preach about And Dave goes, no, not that one. I said, well, I'll preach about, yeah, yeah, that's the one I want you to preach on. And so I want to share with you my three greatest passions in the ministry and then hone in. Uh, we're going to do a better job this service than I did the last service. I have, uh, I've, I've taken three pages out, but I had 16 pages of notes and I did get to page four uh, in the first service. So, uh, so uh, we're, we're going to streamline this a little bit more. But let me give you my three greatest passions. And uh, passion number three is leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. I was saved my senior year in high school uh, immediately. In fact, I think even before I became a Christian, God gave me a heart to want to see lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I went to Bible college not because I felt like God had any life for me in the ministry, but I was a young man, I was a new Christian, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and somebody suggested, go to Bible college, get to know God a little bit better, and find out what God wants you to do with your life. And so I headed off to Denver, Colorado. While I was there, a friend of mine who was uh, there with me, said, Don, you're going to learn how to lead people to Jesus. I said, okay. I said, who's going to teach me? He said, I'm going to teach you. I said, have you ever led anybody to Christ? And he said, no, but I'm going to teach you. He said, I have been witnessing with somebody who has led people to Christ, and I watched him. And so we went out. We were so raw and so inept in, in witnessing to people, and it was just like a horrible, uh, not quite a train wreck, but certainly uh, not uh, very smooth and eventful. And we came to, um, they had a harvest festival in Arvada, Colorado, where at the end of the season, they, they closed off two or three streets, and they put up all of these booths and fairs and rides and everything, and so he said, we're going to pray that God, there were four of us, we're going to pray God lets us lead four people to Christ tonight. None of us had ever led anybody to Christ in our lives. We went out with a pocket full of tracts and started witnessing to people. And we would ask them this question, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Would you like to know that? And then we just went through Bible verses how they could know that. Now, in order to get um, hooked up with people there, we found a Christian group that had rented a booth. And they were playing contemporary Christian music on guitars, and they had some high school girls there, and they were very boldly passing out gospel tracts to people who came. And we, we, so we just hung around there, started asking questions. And I don't remember if this was the first person I led to Christ or not, because I got to pray with several that night. 
But uh, there was one young man, and I asked him after he had prayed. I'd gone through the gospel. He prayed, asked Christ to save him. And I asked him, now, do you know for certain if you died today that you'd go to heaven? And he goes, yes, yes. Okay, well, that's the right answer. And I said, well, how do you know that? Now, the correct answer is because the Bible says that if Jesus died for me and I would receive Him as my Lord and Savior, I'd have eternal life. But that wasn't His answer. His answer was, because I feel it! I feel it! I feel it! Well, these girls that were hanging around there, passing out tracks, got excited listening to what we were saying, and they began to ask people, do you know for certain if you die today that you'd go to heaven? Would you like to know that? And if they did, then they would bring them to me, and I would witness. I got to pray with six young men that night and share the gospel of Christ with them. It was just absolutely amazing. I have never gotten over what it feels like in my soul when I watch somebody go from darkness into light and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Share one story with you on that. Uh, I was uh, When I was at staff at Los Gatos Christian Church, it was kind of a mundane day at staff. The day was winding down. I was getting ready to go home and have dinner with my wife. And um, I got a phone call. And the phone call said, there's somebody in the hospital, they're calling, they want a pastor to come by and visit them. Well, generally, I didn't mind doing that. That was, that was fine, but, it, you know, it was getting later in the day, and I really didn't want to do that then. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go. And so I got there, and lo and behold, here's a man lying on his hospital bed crying in depression. Now, I am kind of a sanguine personality. Depressed people aren't my favorite ones to want to hang around with. I want people who... And so this was very difficult for me. And But I saw his heart, and he was hurting, and I sat down... In fact, I'd never met the guy before in his life, but, but I sat down on the edge of the bed. Next thing I know, he's talking, I'm talking, I'm holding his hand, and he's crying in bed. And I said, well, listen, let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know for certain if you died today that you'd go to heaven? He said, I don't know that. You know what his problem was? He was addicted to prescription pain kill, pills, and they've taken him off. And so he's going through this depression, getting over the addiction to prescription pain medicine. And so I go through the gospel with him, and, and he's crying, and I'm holding his hand, sharing the gospel with him. And he prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And so I went through a, a, a few verses with him afterwards and said goodbye and started to walk out. And he stopped me, he said, Don... He said, you don't know what this means to me. And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, no, you don't. I said, yeah. I said, I, I really do. He said, you don't know what it means. I got to lead a man named Lloyd to Christ. Lloyd became my mechanic. He was a good friend of, of my friend Johnny King. And Johnny King knew that that the, Johnny King knew if he got me and Lloyd together, I would lead Lloyd to Jesus. When Lloyd first came to church, he sat with my wife, and he was a Lutheran from 
North Dakota, wasn't it, Diane? And he sat back, and I baptized somebody that Sunday. He'd never seen anybody immersed in his life. And he looked at my wife, and he said, that's the darndest thing I have ever seen in my life. He said, you're never going to get me in there. (laughs) Six months later, he was in there. And I shared that story. About a year after Lloyd became a Christian, Lloyd got sick and began to die. And uh, the, the end came. He's in a hospital bed in his bedroom, and they called us to come in, and here's his closest family sitting around him, and he calls me to come up, and so I went up and took Lloyd's hand, and Lloyd said, um, he said, thank you, Don, for showing me the way. I said, you're welcome, Lloyd. Glad to do it. He said, thank you, Don, for showing me the way. I said, glad to do it, Lloyd. Lloyd at that moment knew that his last breath on earth was going to be his first breath in heaven. He knew that. And I got embarrassed because I'm not kidding you, four times in a row, Lloyd thanked me for sharing the gospel with him. And I thought, his family is here. You need to talk to your family. At that point, nothing mattered to Lloyd but the fact that he knew Jesus and he knew that he was going to see him soon. Um, I have never gotten over what it's like to lead people to Jesus Christ, and I want to do that until the day I die. That's my third passion. My second passion is prayer. Now, this is what Dave wanted me to speak on today, and hopefully I'll get far enough in the message today where I get the verses on prayer that I want to give you. I didn't get any of them in the first service. God forgive me. Prayer has not always been a joy of my life. Prayer has not always been important to me. Uh, disciplines in the... Somebody tell me what some disciplines in the Christian life are. What, what are we supposed to be doing on a regular basis? What? Reading our Bible. Never hard for me. Never had a problem reading the Bible. Read the Bible every day. Love to read the Bible. Not hard for me. What else? Meditating on the Scripture. A little bit harder for me, but as I get older, I still memorize Scripture. So meditating isn't as hard because I can't memorize as good, so I just go over it again and again and again. So meditating is getting a little bit easier. Plus, I should be meditating when I'm putting messages together. What else? Medita- Bible? Bible? Anything else besides Bible? What's that? Church. Service. Service. We should be serving the Lord. Okay, again. God called me, gifted me. I love to serve Him. Never been a problem doing that. What else? Hmm? Fellowship. Fellowship's always fun for me. I mean, that's who I am. So, yeah. Fellowship. Not, not hard. But, you know, the uh, witnessing is another part. Most Christians, you don't even say that because we don't want to do that. So, we don't put it in our list of, of, of spiritual disciplines. But being a witness for Jesus Christ, that's up there on the top. But, but another one is prayer. Prayer has always been difficult for me. And uh, I, I don't know what all of that is. Part of it is the prayer meetings I grew up in. How many of you ever grew up where you were in a church like every Wednesday night you had a prayer meeting? How many of you ever in the prayer meeting, they got lists and you're going over this and this and this and, and you want to pray for Uncle George and Aunt Susie and, and then there's the dear old saint. And most Christians spend more time praying to keep saints out of heaven. Oh God, don't let them die. We don't want them to go to heaven, God. To keep saints out of heaven than to keep sinners out of hell. 
But our prayer meetings have been dull and boring and list-oriented. We come to God with our laundry list, and about halfway through the prayer meeting, two or three people have already fallen asleep. Okay? I have not enjoyed prayer as a spiritual discipline that was difficult for me, and most of the prayer meetings that I have gone to have been boring. I am in a place in my life where prayer is so vital that I believe God is taking me apart from my evangelism training ministry that I'm doing into a prayer ministry where at least 50% of my time will be engaged in praying with other pastors, get pastors to pray, and get churches to pray in prayer meetings that are joyous. Have you ever been to a joyous prayer meeting? I took my wife to a three-day prayer retreat. Okay? At the prayer retreat, like for the first six hours, you can read Scripture, you can quote Scripture, you can sing songs, you can thank God, you can praise God, but the leader tells us, if you ask God for anything, until I tell you you can ask God for it, the ground is going to open you up and swallow you alive. Because we become so me-focused in our prayers, we are not God-focused in our prayers, and those kind of prayers cease to be joyous. My wife told me after the third day we're getting ready to go home, she said, I have never known that prayer could be like this. The prayer that I support, the prayer that I participate in, the prayer that I try to teach is worship-based, Scripture-fed, Spirit-led prayer. And so prayer has become absolutely a joy of my life, a transformation of my life, and the work of God will never get going in this valley the way it needs to go until God's people corporately get together and start seeking God in this kind of prayer. I'm not talking about cold prayer or old prayer or dead prayer or boring prayer. I'm talking about life-transforming, joy-giving, situation-changing, God-answering prayer. That's my second passion. My first passion in my life always has been for revival or the manifest presence of God. What was the scripture verse that we, that uh, we sang during the offertory? Anybody remember? Psalm? 139. Psalm 139. And it says, where shall I go from your presence? If I go to hell, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. Wherever I go, God, you're there. That is the omnipresence of God. But when revival takes place, we go from the situation of the omnipresence of God to the manifest presence of God. Now, in the first service that I preached, I am embarrassed to say this, but I never got to my text. Okay, so right now, three and a half pages before I'm supposed to get there, I'm going to go to my test. How many of you have a Bible? Do you have Isaiah in your Bible? 
Okay? Alright, that means you, you got more than just a New Testament and Psalms, right? Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah is considered the fifth gospel. It talks so much about Christ and what He was going to do for us in the Old Testament 700 years before Jesus was even born. There are some details in Isaiah that are clearer than the eyewitnesses given by the writers of the Gospels. Isaiah 62. Now, I want to give you the verse second, which is the text, but I want to give you the setting first. The instructions here from God is about the restoration of the nation of Israel. Did God chose the people of Israel for His own special people? Yes? Did He give them the law? Yes? Did He give them the promises? Yes? Did He give the Messiah to the world through the nation of Israel? Yes. When God called them, in Deuteronomy, God says they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And God says, hush, if, if, if I were a little less refined than I am, I would say God said, shut up and listen to me. I'm saying something important today. God said, today you have become my people. I'm taking you into the promised land. You're to obey all the laws that I give you. And if you obey these laws, I will make you the greatest nation on earth. What is the greatest nation on earth today? It's the United States of America. But we are sadly, quickly going downhill because our trust is in what we can do and it's not our trust in the God that made us great. But God said to Israel, I'll make you the greatest nation on earth. Was that fulfilled? Did Israel ever become the greatest nation on earth? Yes, no. You don't want to say, do you? I don't want to give the wrong answer, Don. I don't want to look foolish. Answer is no. They never became the greatest nation on earth. I mean, God, uh, God gave them the great King David. And after King David, they had Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man alive. Unfortunately, Solomon, with all of his wisdom, forgot to read the book of Deuteronomy. And so Solomon ends up with the right answer. You read the book of Ecclesiastes? He ends up with the right answer. But in doing so, he tried everything else in the world under the sun, everything without God, to have pleasure, to have meaning in life. And he found it all futility and vanity. And he finally comes up with the right answer, but not until he had ruined his family and ruined the nation of Israel. They never became what God wanted them to become. Now listen to me, people. God wants great things for every one of you. Do you believe that? You say that. If you're like me, you don't. I mean, really, how could God want great things for me? But just as God wanted great things for Israel, God wants great things for His people today. Now, so God is promising in Isaiah, remember, they've passed this window, but God says, I'm going to restore you and I'm going to give you all of the glory that I told you I was going to give you. So we pick it up in verse 8. How many of there? You are? Okay. The Lord has sworn by His right hand. Okay. So God's making a vow. He said, by my mighty arm, I'm going to do this. God's swearing to His people. By my right arm, by the arm of His strength, surely I will no longer give your grain to be the food of your enemies. 
And the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine, for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord. And those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up the banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed people of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, not a forsaken city. God said all of the glory that I promised you in the past, you're going to see and see more than you could ever imagine. Now, go back to verses 6 and 7. This is God speaking. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who shall never hold their place day or night, who make mention of the Lord... You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silence and give Him no rest till He establishes, until He makes Jerusalem a praise of the earth. Okay? God is saying, I put people on your walls to pray, and He's saying, you who are praying for Jerusalem... Hound me, and hound me, and hound me, until I do everything that I have promised to do by my mighty arm. Now let me ask you, are you seeing in your life everything that God has promised you? Why not? What has God promised to you? What has God promised to us that He has not given us. Now folks, what I'm saying the church needs is the manifest presence of God among His people. What does that look like? I read of a church in Texas in the 1990s. Small city in Texas. In that city they had a Bible college. I think that's almost mandatory in Texas. I, I think if you have over 23,000 people in your city, you have to have a Bible college. But they had a Bible college in this city. And um, there were some students in that college that God had laid it on their heart to pray for a revival. It had gone that year, that semester, and it started a new semester and uh, they were in church on Sunday morning. The church service had, they had two services. This church has two, you have three services, right? Okay, they had two services, and they had Sunday school classes, and they flip-flopped. The church was on the radio during the second service. The first service was going on, pastor was closing, had a hymn of invitation, a student came forward, to the pastor, and the student said, um, he said, Pastor, he said, may I say something to the congregation? <laughs> Rich, that's always a scary thing when somebody wants to say something to the congregation. And the pastor said, sure. He said, you may. 
And the student said, God laid it on my heart and several other students at the Bible college to pray for revival. He said, we have been praying for months and months for God to show up and God hasn't, there hasn't been a revival. And then he just broke broke out crying, just standing there sobbing before the people. And then somebody else came forward. And they gave a similar testimony and they started crying. And somebody else, and somebody else. And God began to work in people's hearts and different people came forward. Uh, uh, Listen folks, the second church service started like promptly at 11 o'clock with their opening call to worship and their hymns. They're live on the radio and the first service is still going on with these people giving testimonies and prayer requests and weeping. The poor people listening to the radio don't know what in the world is going on at that church. Somebody in the auditorium went around to the Sunday school classrooms and they said this. They said, You need to get to the auditorium. God is in the sanctuary. God is here today. We go to church. It's been a good day. We might say, boy, the pastor preached a great sermon today. We might say, wasn't the worship wonderful today? Or... Isn't the fellowship delightful? I just love being with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But how many times do we go home from church saying, Whoa, God was there today. God was there. Folks, what we need is the manifest presence of God. We need God in our church in a way like we've never seen. In, in the Old Testament, you read about the manifest presence of God. Let me give you an example. you got an old uh, codger, 80 years old, shepherding out in the middle of the wilderness, and he looks over and he sees a bush, and the bush is on fire. What happens? The bush doesn't burn up. Fire doesn't go out. It just keeps burning. He says, well, i got to go see what's going on here. And he goes over there and God says to him, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. God was there. And then God said to Moses, you're going to go in and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's going to say, you're nuts. I don't know God. I'm not going to obey His voice. I'm not going to let Israel go. And when He does that, I'm going to display my glory and my power and my judgment on their sins and against their idols in a way (laughs) the, 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 the whole earth is going to become afraid of God when they hear what's going on. And Moses goes there and in Egypt, whether it was the plague of the darkness or the plague of the lice, uh, you got your favorite plague? That's mine too. Frogs, absolutely. Got to be the greatest plague that took place. But the plague of the frogs and the darkness and everything else. God showed up there. And then God takes them through the Red Sea and destroys the armies of Pharaoh. God was manifest there with His presence. God showed up. And then God tells them where to go and when to stop. And He has a, a, a pillar of cloud during the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. And this is where you move and this is where you stop. And this is how long you stay there. And God showed up. There came a place where God got so fed up 
with their lack of faith in Him and their rebellion and their idolatry and their, their struggling for power struggles and who is going to lead and all of the rest. That God told Moses, He said, Moses, I'm not going with you to the promised land. I'll send my angel with you, but I'm not going. And Moses said, uh, Lord, that is not acceptable. You're not going. I'm not going. Your angel isn't good enough. And I'm saying, folks, in this valley, with what needs to be done for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's angels aren't good enough. We need the manifest presence of God here. Do you know how many lost people there are in the San Francisco Bay Area? You know how many? You know how many people are dying? Most of them have never had somebody who loved them enough. Give me this. Give me this. Uh, love them enough to sit down and show with them, show them from the Bible how they can know Jesus Christ and know eternal life. You know, most of the people in this valley will die and go to hell forever and ever, and nobody has ever loved them enough to pray for them and share Jesus with them. You, you want a picture of how many there are in the Bay Area? My friend Ed and I worked on this, and we came out with this. If you took all of the people in, can I borrow you again? And you, sir? Yes. You don't have to put your glasses on for this. Oh, okay, you do. All right. You line them up like this. Come stand right in front. What's your name? Ted. Ted, and you are? Josh. Josh. Okay, Josh, you need to get behind Ted here. All right. All right. You have Josh and Ted. You lined everybody up. You give them two feet. I think you got a little bit. No, 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 no. Two feet is all you get from, you know, front to back. Two feet. If you took all of the unsaved people in the Bay Area and you lined them up with two feet apiece, they, w- they would start at the Golden Gate Bridge and stretch across America to the Statue of Liberty and on into the Atlantic Ocean, lost without Jesus. And most of the church doesn't care enough to pray for them or share Jesus with them or invite them to church. They don't care. If, if I got in my car to drive past all of the unsaved people in the Bay Area, oh, we have so many things that are more important than sharing the gospel with lost people. If I got in my car and drove past them at 60 miles an hour, it would, I would, I, it, it would take me 48 and three quarters hours driving at 60 miles an hour, and I would be looking at the faces of 122,155 people every hour that are without Jesus Christ and headed for hell. Thank you. That's not going to change unless we have the manifest presence of God. Ever since God saved me, Rich, I've studied revivals. It has thrilled my heart to see what God does when... Did did you know there was a man who was raised in a Christian home in uh, in Connecticut, I believe it was, back in the uh, early 1800s, and he wasn't a Christian, but he had a Christian family, and then he got real sick, and they feared whether he's going to live or not, and then he got saved, and when he got saved, God called him in the ministry, and then God put a burden on his heart to go to Hawaii. I have that burden, by the way. 
Okay. God put a burden on his heart to go. I think they were the Sandwich Islands then. And I like mustard on mine. But, uh, but, but, but he went there. He was a fairly new Christian. He'd had a little Bible college, a young wife, and they go over there. And his job in this part on the Hilo part of the big island of Hawaii, uh, his job was to superintend the schools and make sure all of the students were getting a good education there. But his burden was seeing people come to Jesus Christ. And he prayed and he cried and he learned the language and he learned the customs. And now he's taking his first tour going around to talk to the Hawaiians uh, about Jesus while he's checking on the students and he did that job and and different ones would come to Christ and the Holy Spirit began to work there in the Hawaiian Islands and people would bring the, the maimed and the lame and the blind out from wherever they lived back there in the rainforest and bring them out to the trail so that he could stop and preach the gospel to them. He said, sometimes I was preaching five and six and seven times a day to the people who wanted to hear the gospel. And and more and more people that came to Christ, they believed that there were between between uh, 15 and 17,000 people that lived in his district in a period of time, about 10 years. The church, which had 450 people in Hilo, Hilo had 1,000 people in Hilo. 450 of them came to church, but there were only 40 of them that were believers in Jesus Christ. The rest just came. And then people began to get saved and he would take records of who made professions of faith and check up on everybody on every trip that he goes. He said, sometimes I'm, I'm out preaching and, and he said, I wouldn't even have time to eat. And he said, at midnight I had to go to bed and then I wake up at six o'clock at first light and there they are standing out waiting for me to preach again. In a period of time of about 10 years, that church of 40 people, they had 13,000 of those people become believers in Jesus Christ. And they kept the records of those that just kept following and walking with the Lord. The city of Hilo was the only place where a church was. And so the city of Hilo grew from a 1,000 people to 10,000 people because people moved there because they had to go to church to hear the Word of God. 13,000 of the people. In, in fact, in Hilo, that became the fastest growing ministry on the face of the earth that time. One man walking from village to village, sharing the gospel. But the manifest presence of God was with him, and people came to Jesus Christ. God has given us so many promises. And um, what about in the New Testament? Is the presence of God in the New Testament? One of Jesus' names was Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So every time Jesus spoke, they were hearing the words of God. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, they were seeing the works of God. When Jesus died on the cross, bearing our sins so that we could have eternal life, they were seeing God die on the cross in their place. And then Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus goes into heaven. Did the disciples want Him to go? 
Disciples want Jesus to go back to heaven? No, they want Him to set up His kingdom. We're here. We're ready. Set up your kingdom. Jesus said, it's important that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And I'm going, yeah, we don't want the Holy Spirit. We want you. I know that's what they were thinking. And then Jesus gets ready to ascend into heaven after being with him for the 40 days after his resurrection. And he said, now, you guys are going to go preach the gospel to the whole world. But he said, you don't do that until the Holy Spirit's come. So you go in Jerusalem and wait in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit comes. You will receive power and then you will be witnesses to me. So they go back to Jerusalem. What's the first thing they do in Jerusalem? First thing. Anybody remember? Book of Acts. First thing they did. No, no, no. Before praying, you got to do something before you pray. Oh, yeah, they, they got to get a substitute apostle for... I don't know who told them to do that. Oh, we got to get a substitute. we got Judas. He's not here anymore. I need to fill this. Then they started praying. After they started praying, then after 10 days, the Holy Spirit showed up. How many people were saved on that day the Holy Spirit first showed up in the church? 3,000 men on that day. And then you found people come to faith in Jesus Christ Every single day. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and you had the rushing winds and the tongues of fire and, and the, 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 the languages. And I mean, it was just an amazing thing. But know this, that's not the only time in the book of Acts they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. And the book of Acts is a story of the manifest presence of God in His church. Hey, do you think that's what the church in San Jose looks like? Like the book of Acts? Or you think we look more like the impotent church of Western Europe than we look like the church of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts? Manifest presence of God makes all of the difference in the world. Now I gotta, I'm going to close with two or three stories here quickly. And I've got so many verses I'd like to share with you on the promises. Just this one verse, Jesus, Jesus said, He who believes in Me. Anybody here believe in Jesus? He who believes in Me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than he, these shall he do, because I go to My Father. Is that what you're experiencing in your life? The greater works? You think that's what the disciples in the first century experienced? The greater works? Absolutely. What is the greatest work in all the Bible? Raising someone from the dead? Healing leprosy? What's the greatest work in the Bible? It is the salvation of somebody who is lost. Healing somebody's blindness doesn't cost God nothing. But saving somebody's soul costs the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's the greatest work. The transformation of a soul. When the manifest presence of God is in a church, God does amazing things. I would love to share with you stories I've read during the Jesus movement. The last great movement of God in the United States of America was the Jesus movement. Did you know I got saved during the Jesus movement in a little Baptist church in Campbell? A little inept Baptist church with a half-dead pastor? I, I mean, he was. Do, 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 do you know that, that after I got saved, 
The pastor caught on fire for leading people to Jesus Christ. And this this Baptist church of a hundred people, the pastor was taking people out to share Jesus with other people. And they started seeing people baptized in their church every Sunday. A little Baptist church of a hundred people were having baptisms every week because God was working. In my life, I got married when I was uh, very young. Uh, my wife was 19, I was 12 and a half. Still works, Diane, still works. I was, uh, I was 20, my wife was 19 when we got married. I was 21 years old when I started pastoring. How many of you think that I was wise? <laughs> How many of you think I had a good deal of Bible knowledge? I, I went to Bible college and I got a degree. It was a THG degree. That's a three-year degree in theology. And, and uh, I, I think it meant, there he go. And there I went. I started pastoring the church and God did things in our little church. I mean, we had people saved all the time. I remember we had, we had a woman come forward in, in a church on Easter Sunday. I said, if you want to know for certain if you die today, you'd go to heaven. Come forward. And she walked forward. And as matter-of-factly as could be, she said, Yolanda said, I would like to know for certain if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I said, okay, then go with, over here and these ladies will take you through the Bible and they'll show you how to know that. So she prayed to receive Christ. In that family, I baptized four generations. It was amazing what God did. I went to Florida and I worked in Florida for my father-in-law who was a pastor there. Greatest boss I ever had in my life. Worked for my father-in-law in Florida. One assignment that I had was to preach in a chapel service. I, God had so burdened my heart the night before. I remember laying in front of the stereo when I was preparing my message in my heart. And I'd lay in front of the stereo and I'd play the song, Anybody here want to live forever? Say, I do. Anybody here want to walk the streets of gold? Say, I do. And I just thought of the students in that school who did not know Jesus Christ. And I just lay in front of that stereo weeping. The next day I got up to preach in the chapel, about 125 people in the chapel. And I preached and I, for 25 minutes, and I gave the invitation, people started coming forward and then more people came forward and more people came forward and more people came forward. I think the invitation lasted 35 minutes and most everybody in that group had come forward and five of the kids came to Jesus Christ. God came on me. His manifest presence was there. It was not me. I was nothing. I was nobody. But God showed up. If you would have asked me ten minutes after I preached what I preached, I could not tell you. But I knew that God was there. Folks, God wants... If God's manifest presence... And, and, and I love this church. I love your pastor. I think, he is, I think he is a man of integrity and a man of prayer, and I love him. But if the manifest presence of God showed up at this church you'd see ten times as many conversions as you're having now. You would see a hundred times as many prayers answered. Did you know God says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you? How many of you are praying for somebody who's lost or backslidden and it break your heart? 
Can you say anything to change their mind? Can you say anything to change their soul? No, you can't. I can't either. And so I cry out to God, God, you have to do this. I can't do this. God says if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we will ask. You said that's not possible. Anybody hear of George Mueller? How many prayers did God answer for George Mueller? 10,000? No. 20,000? No. I think he had recorded 75,000 specific answers to prayer. It was like whatever George Mueller asked God. God did it according to his word. The widow and the unjust judge. Jesus said, I'm not like this unjust judge at all, but you better pray to me just like that. Same thing that we had. Do not let God go. Now, what do I want from you? I want you to pray more passionately and with more faith and more conviction for your unsaved and backslidden friends. That's what I want. I want you to pray for God's manifest presence to show up in the Bay Area. In the city of Titusville, Florida, they shut NASA down. Titusville has 42,000 people in the city. The pastors looked at the situation. Did you know Titusville with 42,000 people lost 10,000 jobs in one year? Most of them engineering jobs. The pastors said, what do we do? They said, we better get together and pray and seek God. And so it started with five, and then next there were ten, and then next there were twenty, and now there are fifty pastors. Did you know if we had that same percentage praying together, Rich, we would have a thousand pastors praying in San Jose every single week? A thousand. One of the things that Titusville prays, that God opened a window of heaven in Titusville, and the third prayer request is that it would be hard to go to hell from Titusville, Florida. It's too easy to go to hell from San Jose. Too easy. But if God shows up, that's going to change. Will you pray with me for God to show up, not only in this church, not only in your family, but in this city of San Jose and the greater Bay Area, that God will turn the world upside down by His Holy Spirit and by His servants. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the promises that you have given us. God, I thank you for the blessings that I have tasted in my life. But, oh God, I know there is so much more. If we will be like those watchmen that you put on the wall of Jerusalem, that will give you no rest day or night, but will cry out until what you have promised by your mighty arm to do for us in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.